Welcome to the Global Marketing Show, the podcast for all things international business. I'm your host, Wendy Pease, president of Rapport International and a translation expert. Come along with me today as we talk to an expert in the global marketing world about facing their biggest fears, hearing about mistakes they made or saw, discussing best practices, and sharing fun travel language and culture stories. Hello, listeners of the Global Marketing Show. I am so happy to welcome you here today. And I don't think to mention it often because I think it's covered in the intro and the extra, but did you know that we are sponsored by Rapport International? And the marketing team at Rapport International is fantastic. They put out tidbits almost every day on social media. So if you follow Rapport International or me, Wendy Pease, you can get these tidbits and they're hysterical. So I, I want to give you an example of one. There's a word called kutch. It rhymes with butch, and it's a Welsh word that's for a special cuddle or an emotionally significant hug. And it conveys warmth, safety, and a sense of home to the one receiving it. Now, we have the word hug in the United States, but we don't have something that really, really pulls that in. So that's why language is so exciting to me, because you've got these words in other languages that we can take into the United States, and and they'll catch the emotional meaning behind it. All right. So speaking of emotion, golf can be a very emotional sport. And today we're going to talk to somebody who has a a very global viewpoint. He says global is his life, literally. He grew up and was educated in France and in the UK. He's living in the US right now. His family has links to Japan. He's worked in the UK, the US, Malaysia, and his jobs have taken him all over the world in addition to working in in those places. He really appreciates and understands cultural differences. He's had to with what success he's had at different businesses. And he really has a consumer-centric approach with global marketing. And that's enabled him to deliver innovative, award-winning products from concept through commercialization in all continents. He's currently, here's the Golf Connection, the global director of sourcing for golf at Wilson. So Jean-Pierre... Degembe, welcome to the Global Marketing Show. Good afternoon, Wendy. Thank you very much. So let's let's start out with a little bit about golf around the world. Where is it played and what are the differences that one might see? Well, it's, it's played around the world, that's for sure. There's 66 million golfers around the world. And... The rules of the games are pretty much the same around the world. Now, the game has totally different kind of connotations or habit, depending you are. In the USA, you have what we call the six-pack game, which is a bunch of buddies who goes on the weekend and uh, they play they play around and whatever is the score doesn't matter as long as they got six-pack done by the front nine and six-pack done by the back nine. That's a great round of golf. And then yeah, you have the other golfer, which are very meticulous, very serious about their game. They will make sure every points are keeping score and uh, every rules and regulations of the games are in place. In Japan, it takes a full day to play uh, 18 hole. In Malaysia, you play during the night. So it's a sport or it's a sport if you want it to be a sport, but it's also a social activity is also a business platform. It's a family entertainment. Uh, so it's a it's a point of communication. It's a place of entertainment. So it, yeah, it's around the world. You have got plenty of plenty of way to do it. And I've been fortunate enough to to be to experience it myself in in few places. And uh, but the main purpose, I think, for me is. Uh, you got like a few hours to spend with a couple of people and enjoy it and enjoy enjoy your time and enjoy the scenery. And for me, it's more social activities and get get some fresh air. That's pretty much what the, what the game of the golf is for me. 
All right, I have to go back to this. So in Japan, it takes a full day to play. Oh, I mean, yeah. it takes yeah, a big yeah. chunk of time to play 18 holes in the US, but why is it a full day there or longer? Because full day, well, first of all, uh, every time I played it when I was in Japan, they pick you up in the morning, it's around six something in the morning. By the time you drive to the golf course, so you go through all the traffic and everything, you're already about two hours away. So you're arriving over there, it's about eight. And there's a quick breakfast because there's all sorts. Everything is, is there's a, there's a process. Then you go and play nine hole, and it takes forever because they they tend to look at every every angle of the putts and every and you have one caddies taking care of everything for you. And then comes at the back nine, then there's lunch. Oh my God. So and the lunch took forever. Even being French, you will think I will appreciate a longer lunch, but <laughs> I'm not normally in the mood for a long lunch when I play golf, especially then it cuts all the momentum. And then you back for the back nine. And then after that, you got the bath and then you got dinner. So by the time you come back, it's eight o'clock at night. So that's, that's what happened. Oh my yeah. God! Oh yeah! Oh yeah! 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 yeah. To so a point it really... uh, I, I was nearly refusing to play because I, I, if I was stuck in Japan for a weekend, yes, I will go and play. But during the day, uh, no, 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 I don't. Uh, no, it's it's it. But the, bear in mind, in Japan, golf is very. Uh, it's fairly exclusive. Or it, in, Less now than it was uh, 10, 15 years ago. But it's it's also a very expensive place. So. You, you really make an occasion when you go and play. That's that's pretty much what it is there. And so is it predominantly like the businessmen who play or is it, do women play? I'm it assuming families to, don't. Yeah, it used to be very much, very much a male business orientated. It has changed a bit, but the things is the access to the sport in Japan is is, is pretty it's hard to get access to the sport because, first of all, there's not that as course are not as available as you can find either in uh, Europe or uh, here in USA. But uh, mainly, uh, it's still very much a male male kind of environment. You have few places where you got ladies who will play, but they will play sometime during the day, certain days. But it's, it's still very much a male environment. Okay, so let's jump to Indonesia. You say they play at night. No, that's in Malaysia. Malaysia, Singapore. Oh, Malaysia. Yeah, they got yeah they got night. They call what's called night golf. And the reason of night golf because it's so hot during the day, so you play you play at night and the float the golf course are floodlight. It's it's great. It's it's a very unique experience. When I was living in Kuala Lumpur, uh, that was my one of my favorite things to do. Go and play a uh, nine or eighteen hole uh, after work, and you play. Uh, Bear in mind, uh, you are on the equator line, so by by five six o'clock at night, it's get dark anyway. So you can play in four hours. You're done. So you got the first the first probably six seven hole. You still have daylight. So and then then the the golf course get floodlight, and then and then you just play where the lights are. Now I would imagine that the there'd be a lot of par threes and not a lot of par fives if they're trying to light it with no, no, no 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 the full the full course is lit this is, is lit everywhere and uh yep you got to, it's like uh so the, the the lights are very much a strategic point so basically you play where the lights are so but you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't try to cut corners sometimes because uh, then you're done. No, the cut corner is not a solution. You go, you go where the lights are. But the the, the, the greens are lit in, in pretty much every direction. So the tee box, the fairways. No, it's uh, it's yeah. It's funny when you fly uh, when you fly over like Malaysia, Singapore, uh, places like you can see the golf course uh, lit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's, it's few courses in it. Uh, Malaysia, the bunch of Thailand's got some courses as elite, and that's the reason is because it's so hot during the day. So you can you can play later in the afternoon and at night. It's very pleasant. Oh, how fascinating! So if you don't hook it or you got to yeah, play well, straight down the fairway, otherwise you no, no, no. The the, well, the the course are most of the course the course which are designed for uh, floodlight. They tend not to be as well. No, in fact, even Mission Hill in China. Uh, no, it's a full-size course, but they, no, they, the lighting is very good. That is fascinating. I don't think I've ever seen one in the United States with floodlights on it. Uh, do I know any course in USA floodlight? I don't know. I don't recall any. Yeah. Well, a driving range for sure, but not. Yeah. Uh, yes. No. 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 
All right. What other, what other, I mean, this is fascinating to me. I didn't even know we were going to go this angle. So you've got Malaysia, Kuala Lumpur, Singapore that are lit. You've got Japan that, you know, is very exclusive. What other things have struck you in the other countries? Well, if you look at Europe, France is becoming, golf becoming much more a family affair. So it's pretty common now you got the mom and dad and some of the kids who play. It's a, it's a lot more... Uh, it's a lot more social activity, family entertainment. Uh, UK is still very much um, is still very much a, a male kind of male environment, but it has changed a lot. It used to be very much a, the kind of a stuffy country club kind of a things, and that has changed a lot over the last twenty years. A lot of the golf courses are now a lot more open to non-member to participate. Pretty much all courses now are open to women. There used to be a time where some courses were uh, males only that pretty much uh, disappeared these days. They have Most of them have got pretty good program for junior as well. So the UK has always been fairly at the forefront of trying to find some way to grow the game. Scandinavia, Sweden is the second largest market in Europe, funny enough. Mm. Uh, yeah, despite having such a short season, but they've got lots of, now bear in mind, in summer, they can play 24 hours a day and they never stop. So it's a lot also more social as well. And uh, they have a very good youth program in, in, uh, in Sweden. Germany, on the other hand, it's, it's an interesting market because close to 40% of the market in, uh, in Germany is, uh, is um, female. So there's a lot of ladies playing golf in Germany, which is great. So that, that's a good thing. Spain, you still have a fairly traditional country club kind of approach, but there as well over the last few years has been more uh, becoming more socialized and uh, COVID has been in some ways, if COVID had did some good things, uh, COVID has been great for golf. <laughs> yeah, COVID that's has true. been great yeah. for golf because uh, you look, we have so many people participating now into the sport. The reason being is the last two years, a lot of places were closed. In fact, at uh, the start of the pandemic, pretty much everything closed. The golf course, most of them uh, were stay open because you can keep some social distance and lots of people, activities they couldn't do now, so we're all going to do. And a lot of the kids, uh, junior in the USA, have picked up the game of golf over the last 18 months. The reason because their baseball camp uh, two years ago were canceled. So they were, am I going to go? My dad's playing golf or my uncle is playing golf or my buddies is playing golf and just go into the attic, find a set of golf club, go to the range. And there was a, there was a place for them to escape and to be, to be able to do something. And we have seen it. We have seen an, a huge amount of new demand and people participating into the game, which is great. Yeah, yeah, that is because it is such a great social skill. It's, I mean, social game and it's great for exercise and takes concentration. You have to forget about everything else. It's also frustrating as heck, but (laughs) (laughs) it's a sport to reveal a lot of yourself in some ways. Uh, It absolutely does. (laughs) But there's some great study which just were published by the uh, the RNA and how much golf is beneficial to health of people where everybody was trying to find something positive to do during the pandemic. There's lots of very good research has been done proving that the fact that you're outside, you've got contact with people, even if you're not in direct contact, but the fact that you're able to exchange with people and you get some fresh air, you walk around and that's, uh, it's been very, it's also very good for the brain because he, funny enough, it keeps you, uh, you have to keep thinking during the game. Uh, you have to, yeah. So that's, uh, that's good. Okay. So if you think about the different ways that people play golf around the world, what does that, how does Wilson have to market differently? Well, you, you have to consider every, every market's got the specifications. If I just go very simply, if you look Asia-Pacific, just because of mainly the morphology of the golfers, they tend to be a bit shorter. They tend to, to have a slower swing speed than the, 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 the six-foot uh, big quarterback type of guys we have here in USA. So we tend to have golf club. We tend to be a bit lighter in weight, softer in uh, with the shaft. Europe also prefer to have something a bit softer in the shaft, where in USA, there's a bit of a mature approach sometime in the game and they want the things and grip it and rip it type of approach. 
they prefer <laughs> something a bit more uh, a bit more stiffer uh, into their shaft. So we have product specification, which varies. Uh, we have basically three types of specification around the world. You got Europe, who's got uh, one specification, Europe, and then you get Asia. Yeah. So there's there's some fine tuning into the product. Uh, if you look at golf bag, for example, the US market is very cart. Uh, type of golf bag so people put on the back of their golf carts uh, Europe has more people carry bags but they also like a lot of the bags in Europe they want bags which are waterproof because if it rains it doesn't stop them to play where uh, Asia Pacific uh, their bags tend to be a lot more decorated they like uh, lots of embroidery a bit more shiny material so that's one thing golf glove is another one which is interesting to look at because the end morphology around the world is not exactly the same. For example, the guys in Australia tend to have shorter fingers than the rest of the world. So you have gloves, which are called cadet sizing. And most of the business in Australia is done with our cadet sizing, where the rest of the world is the regular sizing. And Asia Pacific, they don't use the conventional sizing as we have. They use what's called, it's a centimeter sizing. And it's also slightly different cut, so slightly narrower across the palm, a bit shorter along the finger. So it's the same glove, uh, but there is some nuances uh, depending where the product is shipped. It's fascinating to me. I, I've never stopped yeah, to think about you, that. If, if I look at myself, I'm, a, I'm a normally a U.S. Uh, regular medium large in my golf glove when I go in Australia well uh, the cadet is a bit uh, a bit short in finger for me is a bit tight and if I go in uh, in Asia I have to go between a, a 22 or 23 size so yeah that's but that's that's but it's, it's true for everything around the world you know you having a very unique product which you say it's exactly identical to the same around the world unless it's a basic commodity after that, you got a lot of products which are tweaked. You take any big global brand, uh, you can take uh, even the Pepsi Cola and the Coca Cola of the world. Their formulations are slightly different around the world. The big McDonald's of the world, their burgers are different tastes around the world. So they you even take cars. You know, when I when I was in Malaysia, my car never had a heater. There's no heater in the car in Malaysia. You can have a BMW. You have a B, You order a BMW in Malaysia. There's no heater because you never get calls in that country. There's no need to have a heater. Oh, right, right. That's funny. It used to be in the United States there were many cars without air conditioning, but uh -huh. I think they come standard with heat no, no, and air now. No, no, it's pretty much now. standard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. So you're, with your global marketing, it starts with the product, and then is your it's it starts with a consumer pretty much every time you always start with a consumer and then from the consumer you go yeah it's, 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 a, it's a parallel path between what the consumer and what the the development r&d are and those two have to work pretty much in together but if you just do a product purely from an r&d standpoint at some point in the development you're going to have to look at what what's required for the consumer especially in product like we do we have a lot of testing with consumer testing with the professionals and because you can have something which on cad looks great or you could have a you still have the eye of the consumer. It's, it's, it's funny when you have uh, in sporting goods, I see my colleagues in racket sport or in baseball. When, when you develop a product, you put it down and you look at it the way it looks to your eyes and every, every golfer, especially at the pro level, is like, oh, this is too much angle here. It's a bit curvy here. They all have the toe is too low or that is too high. Or there's too much offset. It's a, uh, the product is, how it feels to the eyes is very important for golf clubs. Right, exactly. So, yes, I agree with you. Any business starts with the consumer, that you've got to talk to them first and understand what their need is and speak to them in their language. Mm -hmm. And then once you do that, you start developing the product and you're adapting it for the market. Yeah. Then, okay, so it starts with the consumer and then you, you have the product adaptations. And then when you're going to market, do you have more of a, a globalized approach or are you very decentralized or how, how is marketing no, it's set a up? It's, it's a global, for golf is a global approach. If you take a, like a new golf ball, for example, we will have a global message because the game 
at the end of the day, it's it's the same game around the world. The rules are mm-hmm. pretty much the same around the world. So you have at least a common base. And the idea is you got that little white ball and you try to put into the hole in the least amount of stroke. So that's pretty much what the, the, the product has supposed to do. But so you have your, your technology, which it's pretty much global. And then you will adapt a bit your communication message because if you say golf ball in certain country, they are more interested in how soft is the ball. In some other part of the world, they will be more interesting is how much distance is the ball. So uh, you have to play some elements. Some elements are more important in some market than some other. The overall message is the same. It depends on how much focus or emphasis you want to put in certain point versus some other. Yeah. So what's interesting to me is I wanted to go to your website and I wanted to compare the kinds of products that you were talking to across. And in the United States, when I type in Wilson Golf, it's recognizing my IP address and giving yes. me English in the U.S. Uh-huh. Now, if I'm if I speak Spanish and I'm in the U.S., I can't get to a Spanish-speaking Wilson website. Correct. And, and so I can't find the site that would come up in Mexico. To be honest with you, I don't think we have a site in Mexico. Okay. Uh, what, we, have what, where I... we have a site okay. for Spain, but that, that you will have to be that, that will be from our uh, from our server out of Europe because in Europe you can choose your language if you're on the site in Europe. Oh, so why don't because you we don't allow we don't, me to we don't choose... have the same um, we don't have all the same products in USA than you have in Europe. So our website are also designed for the market center. Okay, so the, the I website, did... the website is a communication tool today. So I've got product in USA, which are not available in Europe, and vice versa, I've got product in Europe, which are not available in USA. The other things you have is pricing. Some of the pricings are not always the same between Europe and USA. They are very, very similar, but we've got some key retailers around the world that they want to have their own policy. So we, we, we don't have a global, we don't have one website with everything in it, no. Okay. All right. Well, I did find the one in Spain. I went to Wilson Golf Spain and I came up with the the Spanish one. And then Germany has its own web. Germany's website is a French, there's a UK, there's a Swedish. Yeah, there's a, all those key markets have their own uh, site. Right. So it gets very complex on something like this because there's lots of people. I mean, the United States has the second largest Spanish-speaking population yeah. of any country. But pretty much the communication, if you look at packaging, what we do in packaging, uh, for say golf balls are bilingual globally. They are in English and French around the world. So if you are in Spanish, well, you either speak English or you speak French. We don't do the packaging in, in Spanish. Same for the German. The the vast majority of, of the golfers, they are pretty acquainted with all the kind of language and jargon of the, of the golf industry. And so you Now, the, lo- local, the local catalogs will be done in local languages. So you can find after that. But the product itself, the, the, we don't, we, from, on golf bags, for example, uh, pretty much all the POPs are done in English and a bit of French. But there's nothing in German. There's nothing in Spanish in those, in those products. So you were talking about how there are, you gave a number, oh, 40% of the market in Germany is female. And there was yep. one of the countries you gave the number of, oh, no, no, I know what it was. You said there's 66 million golfers mm-hmm. around the world. Have you, did you break that down by what language that they speak or what countries they're in? Yeah, I've got a breakdown. I don't know the top of my head, but right. you have to look at, Close to 40%. Uh, the, the world market is split roughly 40% US, 40% Europe, and there's a 20% Asia. That will be my split for Wilson. Some brand may have a different split. They may have a more, they may have a much bigger business out of uh, out of Asia Pacific. But for us, is a, a kind of a 40-40-20. Okay. All right. So that's where... Well, in Europe, yeah, you, you've got all those different countries. They all have those different languages. But with all our communications at the local level, so the reps and uh, 
even some of the catalogs, some catalogs are not translated into, into local languages anymore. That you just keep them in English and uh, French. Pretty much, yeah. Well, the English and French, the French is because of Canada mainly. Okay. And then how do you set the corporate strategy and then the marketing strategy for the multilingual? Like who, who controls that in the company or how? The product message comes from Chicago at the global, the global marketing level. This is what the story of the product is. Then that is pushed to the local market. So at the global level, Chicago will design, this is a main story for that new golf ball. Okay, those are the key features. Those are the key benefits. That's it. And then the European group will basically take that and the guys in Germany will adapt their, that message to their market then the French, then the Spanish, then the, the guys in Sweden and in Norway. So they will all locally transform or adapt some of those languages for their local communication. So when they go and present the product to their, uh, their customers, they have their message. So in fact, I spent some time a few months ago with a French group on, on some of the new golf ball product because there's some words in English, there were some phrases in English, they had some problem to, to translate back into into French. So we had to discuss a few things. And it's, I, sometimes it's pretty tricky. And that's mainly because we relate that back to them because they are the people who are in the business. They understand the, the jargon of the industry. We found out that's the only way it's easier for them to develop their story in their language and be able to communicate it rather than us trying to, to force something. We give them a time, uh, kind of a, a frame in English, and then they'll adapt from there. Okay, so they have the framework, but they have a lot of creative they, flexibility. They have some flexibility. Uh, yeah, you have some time. Uh, you can say something in English, where when it's in French, it has to be, it means the same, but you have to present it in a slightly different way. And you also go back to what I was saying earlier in some markets, some features are more important to the consumer than in some other markets. So, within all those different features a product may have, you may want to reinforce one more than another, depending where you're presenting the product to. Yes, it's so interesting to me to talk to people at large companies and look at how their strategies are set up. Like you've really got a multinational one where you create it corporately, but then give each country a lot of discretion on how to do it. And then other countries, it's handled from corporate. And, and they're making sure that the messages are appropriate, but they're also developing the messages at the start to be culturally appropriate. And then yeah, well, the- we're developing the message, then it's corporately appropriate. Uh, the, the, the feature benefit products are, are the same. And then just after that is how you interpret that to the point then it's easier for the local market to communicate or for the consumer to understand that. Right. So all companies go through miscommunication at some point or another when they're running a global business because it's inevitable. What kind, what mistakes, you know, either that have you run into or miscommunications? Well, we were, in fact, I was just mentioning earlier, I spent a bit of time with a French group on the, on the new golf ball we are launching is there was... There's a question of density of the new product. You know, you, I don't want to enter into too technical here, but that new golf ball we have is the multi-layer constructions and the density of every layers are the same, which makes the ball balance. And I was, it's not easy to translate to, to the French because it couldn't, it was not easy to find the right terminology uh, of how do you, you're going to say, well, every, every layer are basically have the same weight. Well, in the USA, it's presented as weight. And in fact, the real terminology is density. So in USA, we're talking about weight in Europe. In, in French, we have to talk about density. So there's, there's a nuance there. But if we say it's the same poids versus la même densité uh, physically, it doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't exactly mean the same. And those are slight nuance and details which we have to come through. Uh, I have to say, most of the time, biggest problem we have sometimes specifically myself is 
when I have to deal with my colleagues in Canada, some of their translation in French to me sometimes is like, oh, not exactly right, but it might be right for you in Canada. It's not right for me in French. So I don't know who's right, who's wrong at the end of the day. Um, <laughs> so, so oh, give me an example of what would be difference between the, the French in Canada and, and France from what you've seen. I know there's well, a difference because the, who we assign as translators. Oh, yeah, well, you know, first of all, the, the, the the Canadian doesn't accept any word of English in uh, in their uh, in, in their translation. So, in French, when you talk golf in French, there's a lot of English word because they, they took the word like a, a wood is a wood, a shaft is a shaft, a, a putter is a putter. So those words go straight into uh, straight into the copy of the product in in French. And for example, a putter in uh, in Canadian, c'est un fer droit. Uh, Yes, a putter is not an not an iron. So it, it, they, they try to find translations, but when you're close enough to the product and close enough to the business, so okay, that's that's kind of a kind of a, not exactly the right terminology. I understand why they do it because there is not there is not any direct translation. So they're trying to find something. A putter and you call it a fer droit. Yeah, well, I, I know why they call it droit because it's it's straight, but it's it's not straight, it's flat. So you can, they call a shaft and baton. Un baton for me is a stick. There's a difference between a stick and a shaft, but uh, there's no translation for that. So that's where, when you are uh, technical close to a product, if you don't have a direct translation, it's hard to find one. Uh, the Canadian needs to find translation for everything. So uh, they have to adapt and yeah, sometimes it sounds kind of strange to me when I when I read that. So, oh, what are you talking here? But there we are. That's so interesting, right? Because I've heard that in France, as you know, I've heard this from the translators, the email is accepted as email. Whereas yeah. in Canada, you can't call it email, you have to call it courriel. Yeah. Yeah, courrier électronique. En fait, it's an abbreviation of courrier électronique. So they call it courriel. Right, right. Yeah, and using yeah, yeah. email would be very yeah. offensive, which is the same thing as just yeah, don't yeah, yeah, use yeah. English. Huh. Well, in fact, the, the, the Académie Française right now is uh, is raising the flag and is starting to have too many uh, franglais coming into the language. So that's starting to become an issue for them. Say, so, hey, be careful here. We're going to, to create a, a problem in society where we have people who understand and people who don't understand it. So oh, do we need to start to find some way to regulate it that how much friendly you can have in your language. Yeah, it, it's it's interesting because that's on the border in the north border of the United States and the south border of the United States, you have Mexico, mm -hmm. where you have to make sure you use a translator with Mexican Spanish because there's so many English words or, you know, yeah, Spanish yeah. and English have merged more. So that's accepted there. It's part of evolution of language sometimes. Is it part of globalization? Uh, you know, it's, um, yeah, I, I, yeah. I, hear, I hear it. Even, funnily enough, I hear it with my, uh, with, with my own, uh, here in my own family. My wife being Japanese, sometimes there's some word coming out. Uh, this, is, this is an English word with, some, with an O at the end. So, because they don't have a word in Japanese. So it's like a, a stupid things like you go, if you go to the movie theater, she will get a ticketo. A ticket is basically the ticket, it's a movie ticket. But they take the English word and they put an O at the end. So it's suddenly starting to send Japanese ticket. Yeah, well. <laughs> you got stuff like that. Different than, you know, like so often we joke around that Spanish is the English word with an O at the end, yeah. but it would be ticketo. But yeah. in Japanese, it's yeah. it, not that that is in Spanish. I'm just, you know, playing off the word. Right, yeah, that's what it is. Yeah. Ticketo yeah. would be in, in yeah. Japanese. Uh, Oh, I've, I never realized that before. That's interesting. Okay. So what do you think the most complicated thing is about global marketing? Mm, that's a tricky question because I, I guess it's all depends from what angle you're looking at it. For me, I don't think global marketing is complicated because I've only lived in, in, the, in, that, in, in that way. I think global marketing is complicated when you, when you come from from a pretty narrow mindset and I will think that I will think it starts from there is if you have a pretty wide open mindset if you are open to ideas and concepts which are not what you used to it's a lot simpler 
But if you want to stick to just what you know and what you want to do, that's where it's becoming complicated. The world is pretty much... If you look at the global level, it's the same wherever you go. Uh, for me, I'm, I've been in 30 plus countries around the world. And it's like, wherever I go, I find the same things. But I'm always looking at such a, a much higher level, I guess, in some ways, like people do the same things wherever. They wake up every day, they go and try to find some food, they do their work, they go to bed. So for me, it's like, wherever we do, after that is adaptation, is it's, and if you can accept people can do things differently but at the end of the day they do the same thing so I don't know if it makes sense but I can totally understand why people only eat with their hands because uh, when I was in Malaysia I, that's, I love to have my banana leaf lunch and dinner and you only <laughs> eat with your hand and it's never been a problem for me and when I had a couple of colleagues coming from the USA they were sitting on those table and they didn't know what to do they were missing plate and fork, knife and stuff like that. And I said, it's all the same. At the end of the day, all you need to do is to feed your body. You do it with your hand and you do it with your fork or knife. It's all the same. For me, it's never been a problem. And that's where I think that's where it is. If you are willing to accept and recognize and, you know, there's different ways to, to solve a problem. And uh, that's what global marketing is, is you have to look at it and you solve the problem in a different way. And I think the solution is most of the time is already there. You just have to listen and look what's already available in some ways. Don't try to impose anything. Just try to adapt. Okay. So it really is, which is so interesting, is a lot of people think it's starting from the the from fresh or so different. Yeah, but so I, many like innovation is adapting and it's you know and i'm i'm probably the, the wrong person to ask the questions because i never live in just one place i grew up in in northern france my dad was belgium my grandmother was spanish uh, i crossed border i was i was probably a couple of days old i was already crossing border uh, so for me is and i'm used to only like 45 minutes drive, you, when I used to be in Northern France and I used to go to my grandparents in Belgium, you cross the border, you are in a different country. You go from Northern France to South Belgium, A is a different country. They have different culture, they have different cooking, even if they speak French and with Belgium French, it, it's not the same. They don't, they don't eat always the same things. They have different rites and they have different celebrations. And for me, it's always been something which I never... I'm, I'm starting to realizing more and more as I'm getting older and I'm, than how much was so, is so much part of myself. And I say, it's a global part of myself. It's never been for me like, oh, it's something different. It's just with the way they are. It's like, as I say, my wife is Japanese and the Japanese have all sorts of different cultures and all sorts of, but it's never been a problem for me. I'm just like, okay, that's what you want to do. That's what you want to do. That's, a, I don't have a problem or a problem with it. I think it's, if you want to be a global marketer, you have to be very open mind. You have to actually, okay, that's, that's, the way, that's the way people are doing it. Don't try to force something. Just try to adapt something. So you've been in, I don't even know how to, what I want to ask is which culture have you been in that's most different from you? Yet you've been in the United States for years, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. How many oh, yeah, years have you been here? Uh, more of, well, uh, tw over 20 years now. 20 plus years, and mm -hmm. you grew up in Europe. So which culture yep. do you think has been the most different? The most different. But the most different from all is, is Japan. That's for sure. Uh, yeah, my, my family in Japan is by far the most different because just because of the language, uh, you, you can't read anything. <laughs> you try to take a train in Tokyo, good luck. You can't read anything. It's just a different, such a different culture. But even is that difference, I don't, I never feel being a foreigner funny enough. I don't feel I'm out of place. I'm just, okay, fine, that's the way they are. I'm, I just keep going. Uh, now you can feel lost sometimes, that's for sure. So, oh, not too sure where I'm going here or what they're putting on the table, but it's fine. That's a, that's a, China sometimes could be could be pretty pretty. Kind of, oh, okay, that's that could be some part of China where uh, you really. I I think the, the the place where I felt the most foreign was twenty years ago. I was in Shanghai one Sunday. I was walking in the street, and every single kid were turning their eyes and looking at me. Mm. 
It was because like, you look so different. It was like, who is this guy? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes, my mom did a, a Fulbright scholarship about 15 years ago in China, and I went over to visit her with some friends, and we ended up in a small town, and we were at the the village square when they were having their their market, and there was a. Yeah, a young boy, he must have been around 10. And his family was like, oh, he speaks English. So we stopped to speak to him and he could count to 10. He could say, how are you? And the crowd gathered around us to watch him doing that. And I gave him my business card and I said, here, if you ever come to the United States. But it was very interesting because in the United States, if that interaction had happened, a crowd wouldn't have gathered around oh. to watch what was going on. Even in a small town, you'd be, you know, you'd be trying to avert your eyes and show that you weren't watching. <laughs> so there's, a, there's little things that, you know, it was uh -huh. very, I was very honored and I, I enjoyed the, the situation and the boy was very engaging because he was willing to try English. And, and so it was fun. It was just different. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, I don't know what you say. I even, even when I went to Africa a few times, I never felt that I, I always feel wherever I go around the world, I always feel that there's a certain zone of comfort wherever I go. But I'm, I'm, I'm happy to eat in the, in the street in Bangkok and I'm happy to eat in a in premium restaurant in USA. I'm fine with both locations. So that's uh, that doesn't bother me. Uh, in fact, when I used to cover the Asia Pacific market, every 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 country I was with, Vietnam or Indonesia or Thailand or whatever, Myanmar. Uh, every time I go at the factories, I go to them. Let's just go and eat somewhere in the street. I'm, I just go, I just go there. It's never been a problem for me, because I want to. I want to enjoy the the local. You know, I just, I'm not going to come uh, all the way in another part of the world just to have the same the same taste, flavor of food or experience than I have if I'm staying at home or I've been there somewhere before. So what's been your, some of your favorite foods that you've had from around the world? Oh, I'm a, I'm a big fan of, uh, I'm a big fan of the food in Singapore. Singapore for me is, uh, is one of the places for me where I enjoy the most because you got all the Indian food, you got Chinese food, you got Thai, you got, you got so many different flavors. You, you can mismatch so many things. That's, uh, I have to say, a good, a good curry in Singapore, a fish head curry in Singapore, or, or drunken prawns or paper crab uh, on the fish market along the, along the ocean over there. It's a, it's a pretty good thing. It only costs you 10 bucks, but it's pretty damn good. <laughs> Really? I know. See, I haven't been to Singapore and I've heard uh, it's a very Singapore. expensive city, but you're saying no, the no, food no, no, is... No, no. is... Singapore, well, Singapore is expensive. It depends where you go and where you stay, but you can... There's lots of uh, what they call the Hawker Food Center. You go get some satay or stuff like that. It's great. Indonesia has some good food as well. Yeah, we got to get our traveling... Uh hats back on or yeah yeah yeah. No, it's, it's painful for me we used to go around the world about six seven times a year not to be able to go out in the plane these days right right yeah. all right so traveling that much you have must have a very memorable cultural experience that's funny or scary or just memorable feel, yeah one one of the which will stick in mind for many years is we were in china but you go back a long time ago in china that uh, probably 20 plus years back in china we were i was working in the trying to work with a new factory trying to find some source and i'm with one of my colleagues from singapore and we are stuck there and uh, in that small airport we are going to take a domestic flight to beijing from that small town wherever I was close to Sherman or Shenzhen at the time. And um, nothing's happened in the airport. And suddenly we see all the crowd moving in another part of the airport. So, okay, well, it looks like we need to change gate. And they're starting to give us a food. I say, oh, that's a bad sign. And we were still there and no sign of things. And my colleague from Singapore finally get information that the plane has been canceled. I thought, oh, well, that's no good. Cut the story short, a few hours later, the 747 plane was landed there and that plane was coming and pick us up. So well, that's pretty damn putting a 747 as the old 747 at the day. So how can you get in there? We had to go on the tarmac. And I re always remember seeing that 74. We are here in the tarmac. 
the, the, the door of the, of the plane is open, the stewardess is just looking at us there and there's that big space and those Chinese people find a bamboo ladder somewhere along the airport because they were expanding the airport, they were doing some paintwork. They put the bamboo ladder along the plane, they were trying to climb the bamboo ladder. I was like, I said, what the heck is going on here? And I, I'm there, there with my colleague Dorin C from Singapore. I said, what's going on there? They finally brought a jetway to get us into the plane. So I was just like, oh, that's, that's like going inside the plane in a bamboo ladder 747. That was, that was going to be epic. Oh, you yeah. must have such a mental picture of that, of just oh, it's, the uh, conflict uh, of the old well, bamboo ladder. The, 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 the trip goes even further. So now I'm in the plane. And the plane is nearly full. Like, what the heck is going on in this plane? But it's those days of China, 20 plus years ago, they used to do whatever they want. They still do that. But So I'm sitting and I take a seat there and I'm someone next to me and I look at the person and say, where are you from? So we're from New York. I say, what? So yeah, we're, the plane was diverted from New York to come and pick you up, guys. I say, what? They divert the plane as soon as the plane was... In basically in the domestic airline, a domestic air of China, they divert the plane to come and pick us up because we were going to Beijing. So now we are, we are in that plane, there's like a couple hundred more, more than that people from Chisholm. So they're all mad because they've been delayed by a few hours as well. And when I arrive in Beijing, now that's, that's, the, that's another funny part, I arrive in Beijing. And as soon as the plane, the doors open, there's a military people came inside the plane and they make some announcement. The American people need to stay stay on the board, only domestic people come out first, because if you think about it, you mixed up a domestic flight with an international flight, right? <sighs> so I'm, I'm standing up because I'm on the domestic flight. I've got the, the domestic flight and the guy comes out at me and put a, a kind of a little, uh, little machine gun at me. He said, no, no, you can't get out. And so my Dory said, he doesn't want you to get out. I said, well, I'm the domestic flight. Here's my, here's my, uh, my, my, my air ticket. He had a hard time to understand, and I was not coming from New York. So, yeah. <laughs> what? Could I understand? Why would I want to come from that little town in the middle of nowhere in China? But, um, but yeah, they took, it took a bit of time and uh, discussion with the air crew, and they let me out. Yeah, but there we are. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so, it all yeah. works out in the end, but you oh, still works out fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, eventually, yeah, yeah. it does. Eventually, it does, yeah. All right. Well, you know, this question's coming. So I'm curious to hear what uh -oh. you have to say. What's your favorite foreign word? My foreign in which language? <laughs> <laughs> As I told somebody earlier, foreign word is, is loosely given. It can be any language you know, and word can be a phrase too. Uh, so I am you know, open. There's, 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 there's one language I learned very quickly when I uh, with my kids is, uh, is Japanese. Is tabetai means uh, I want more cake. So, and, <laughs> and, I, and I think it's pretty easy to translate because muto is mucho as well in 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 in, uh, in Spanish cakey cake. So it's it was easy for me to 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 learn that one in Japanese. So that was one of the first few Japanese words I learned is to, to get more cake. So there we go. Okay, are. so say it again slower. Muto kaki. Muto keki tabetai. But to buy so it. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a, can I please have more cake? Or okay. have, have plus de gâteau? Which is also in French because cake, gâteau, uh, yeah. cakey, it's, 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 uh, it was pretty easy for me to understand that, to get that one. Yes, yeah, yeah. What language do you speak? The main language at home is English. Then there is, there is a communication line between my daughter and my wife in Japanese. So in some way, they can keep me away from the conversation a bit. My boy and I... Uh, it's pretty much English, and sometimes we got some French coming into it as well, but English will be the main language. And then have your kids learned French and Japanese? or uh, my, just kids your... are, my kids are fluent in Japanese because when I'm not in the house, and I used to be away a lot, uh, <laughs> so my wife was only talking to them in Japanese. So there you are. Oh, good and for they, them. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. They got some French as well because... Uh, uh, not the last couple of years, but the last few summer, they used we used to go in France and they were attending class in a, a school in France over there because we finished so early in USA. We finished in June, but the 
the French doesn't finish until basically mid-July or early July. So they had a month. They could just go to the local school and interact with the kids over there and learn the language at the same time and make some friends over there. Oh, boy, what a gift to speak English, French, and Japanese. They'll, they'll be in global business <laughs> or well, global they, something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't know. No, yeah, so the other thing is the gift is the, the gift of citizenship as well. That's an important one, I guess. And so are they, what citizenship do they have? They were born here, so U.S. The U.S., yeah, they go Japanese and French, yeah. Yeah, okay, yeah, that's yeah. fantastic. All right, we're running out of time here. What recommendations would you have for people in doing global business? Oh, I, I, I go back to what I said earlier. I think is that you, you need to go with a very open mind. Uh, just, uh, just, just keep, uh, listen very much listen because a lot of the time the solution is will be given to you you don't sometimes you don't have to look they will tell you what the solutions are for what to address what needs to be done in the market and if it's not the way you want it to be done that doesn't that doesn't mean it's the wrong way they, they, as i said there's different solution to the problem you can have people who do certain things in certain ways and some people will do it differently at the end of the day if you are keeping uh, everybody in a kind of a happy happy mode and deliver them the product to service them well, I think you are you are normally in a pretty good shape. Uh, but that, don't try to force things in. Let the market come to you and work with them. I think that's been a, and I see it in relationship. It's very true. Um, these days we haven't been able to work a lot directly with people because of COVID and pandemic, but. The fact when you have a relationship with people for so long and you've been working with so long because you understand what they, what they do, you, you, have, you have a respect for what they do and uh, uh, it, it helps a lot, especially when you're not able to, to, to go and visit them at the moment. Business-wise, it's been, it's been a big, big benefit to be able to, to work with uh, Okay, well, you tell us what works for you, how we can make it happen and respect what they have to say and try to find a solution. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's really good advice. Yes, um, and I think that uh, I know the pandemic's been hard for a lot of people, but I think it will. It, it had teach us one thing: is the human contact is still hopefully will come back as soon as you can because uh, not being able to be able to visit people, uh, work in, in factories, and go to the floor and do stuff like that. It's 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 getting it's getting painful. Right. Right. All right. Where can people reach you if they want to learn more well, uh, and connect with you? I'm, I'm on LinkedIn, so that's easy to, to find me there on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm also, Why don't you go ahead and spell your name so people can find you on LinkedIn? And it'll be in Jean, the show notes, too. Yeah, Jean-Pierre Dejambe, so J-E-A-N-P-I-E-R-E-D-E-G-E-M-B-E. Okay. Thank you very much. This has really been a fascinating conversation for me because I am a, a golfer and I've never thought about the different golfing from around the world. So getting into that and then learning more about how you do your global marketing is fantastic. So thank you for taking the time to speak with me today. It was a pleasure, Wendy. Thank you very mm -hmm. much. And for listeners, if you know a golfer, certainly pass this along to them, you know, to share this episode, because I'm sure they'd get a real kick out of learning about the different golfing international. And if you ever have comments that you want to share with other listeners, there's a Facebook group called Global Marketing and Growth, where we're very active in posting in there and engaging. So if you've got comments about this, you head over to the Facebook group, Global Marketing and Growth, ask to join, and then uh, you can participate in the conversation. So thanks so much for tuning in and we will talk to you next time. That's a wrap for this session. A big thanks to you for listening to the Global Marketing Show. Hope you had just as much fun as I did. New sessions launch weekly on all places you find podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Google Play, and of course on our website. If you know someone interested in this topic, please tell them about us. Au revoir for now.